thank you. Welcome, City Gates. Edwina sends her apologies. Uh, we have a uh, missional um, Grammy party happening at our home <laughs> at, uh, tonight. Our son has been nominated for two Grammys, and we have uh, a dozen people from the gym coming over. And so, um, so we're excited about that. Great opportunity for us to deepen some friendships. And, um, and so she's preparing like a mad person at home. So, <clears throat> Okay, today I'm going to uh, be sharing a message called 40 Years of Working Out. 40 Years of Working Out. And I know, I know. I know what you think, but it's not what you think. Okay, just giving you the heads up. Let's just start off by looking at Luke chapter 2, 21 rather, verses 1 to 4. I was reading this, uh, Vic had, I was on the schedule to preach, and I was reading through my uh, Seeing Jesus Together, and this passage um, arrested me again. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of uh, their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. So I think many of us would be familiar with this passage of Scripture. Um, kind of my question as I read it afresh was like, you know, what's the backstory here? I wonder what the backstory was on this situation. What did this widow think would be the, on the other side of putting everything she owned into the offering? Isn't that an interesting question? Like, what was the backstory? I don't know. Hopefully, as I share today, maybe the backstory unfolds. Who knows? I'm going to start by sharing uh, my story. And if, for those of you who know part of it or all of it, um, I apologize. You get to hear it again. Um, it's all part of talking about working out for 40 years. Um, I grew up in England, uh, as most of you know, in a middle-class family. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom for the longest time, and my dad had his own business for many years uh, after different careers uh, that included um, my mom and dad living in Canada for seven years, uh, and during that time, my sister and myself were born here. So for the record, I am a real Canadian, <laughs> born in Canada. And there was, um, so there's four children in my family, there's the four siblings, we're all alive. Um, Growing up, we didn't have much as a family as I remember it, um, but in many ways, I think that birthed my work ethic. Um, as I remember starting knocking on doors to get car washing clients around age 12 or 13. And then I worked multiple jobs all through my teen years to finance my hobbies like fishing. Yeah, I've been doing this a long time, yeah. Uh, soccer, cricket, biking, etc. cetera. Um, I worked hard everywhere except at school. And uh, I earned decently, and what I earned was mine. Uh, that included financing my solo move to Canada as a rather reckless 19-year-old. So I want to be honoring here um, of my parents, because as raising four children, running a business, um, etc., it was a pretty hard life for my parents. And they certainly loved us, and they did their best for us. But I don't remember our household being particularly generous. And, uh, and again, I'm going to put that down to circumstances as much as anything because, you know, my mom is quite generous today. Um, and, you know, we, 
as an example, we would rarely have friends over uh, to eat with us. And if we did, there was always a sense of everything being measured. What was going out was being measured. And so, again, I'm going to put this down to us living very close to the line financially. So that was my kind of up to age 19, fast forward to Canada um, and my marriage to, as a 21-year-old, to Edwina. And uh, Edwina was different than I was. Newsflash. Um, she, uh, she saved her money and was naturally generous. Um, I, on the other hand, had learned how to make a very decent amount of money as a young man at this point and spend more than I earned. Um, I was driving fancy cars and wearing custom suits and living beyond my means. Uh, an example of my uh, lack of generosity would have been a particular jarring memory for me was Edwina's very close friends uh, had flown into Toronto and she excitedly asked me if they could come and visit. And I said no. <laughs> Brutal. I was selfish, inhospitable, and not even slightly generous. Uh, hard not to see that our marriage was tumultuous. At best, uh, the fact that both of our parents had modeled long-term marriages was foundational and helpful. Um, but regardless, Edwina was ready to leave me uh, when Jesus intervened. He miraculously saved her and then did the same with me maybe a year later and subsequently miraculously saved our marriage last December. We hit 41 years. That is a miracle, trust me. So I want to talk about kind of the early years of salvation and the beginning of reprogramming my DNA. So after a one-year stint back in the UK, we went back to England with a, uh, a business opportunity. Uh, we came back to Canada again to start all over again, uh, carrying with us um, the high value of Christian community that we'd experienced in the one year in the UK. So we were new Christians, went there, and we were involved in three different home groups. And we were, I mean, we just fell in love with the church. We fell in love with community became an absolutely indispensable value for us. We brought that back. Uh, the business venture failed. Um, and uh, at that point, Wesley, our oldest child, was due. And we had no money and little food. And things were very grim. And when I say no money, I'm not, I'm not giving you the sanitized you know, North American version. We had no money. <laughs> she was nine months pregnant. And um, we literally found um, pennies in the back of the couch. I said, I wasn't going to do this. Pennies in the back of the couch that would have enabled her to get to the hospital if she went into labor on the subway by herself. I wouldn't have been able to make it. So when I say no money, no food, I'm not exaggerating. Um, I just remember that day that we came together in the middle of the floor of our Hyde Park apartment and we just held hands and it was like this ultimate prayer of, you know, uh, desperation, submission. <clears throat> we just said, look, we, we have nothing. We have no plan B. God, we need to see a hand here. <clears throat> and the next day I got a phone call from a friend who put me onto a guy who was looking for workers. I worked two days for him. He paid me. Edwina went into labor, and we took a taxi to the hospital together. Friends of ours came to visit us in the hospital, 
and they gave us a $100 gift, a note. That, for us, was a small fortune. The pastor who was preaching when I got saved and his wife um, heard that we'd had the baby, uh, came, to, came to the hospital to visit us. And as they were leaving, he put his hand in his pocket and he, and he put in my hand a note. And I'm so excited about this. I thought, man, this is good. And then he left and I opened my hand and it was, it was $5. I had mixed reactions. I have to be honest with you. <laughs> I thought the minimum for that type of a move was 100 bucks. <laughs> you put $5 in my hand. And, um, but they invited me to their home that night to stay with them overnight, to come have a meal, stay with them. Um, we were in a private room, which we never paid for. So we had our own private room. Edwina was able to rehab nicely from a very arduous uh, labor with Wes. And... Um, so in the morning, after I slept, over, I slept overnight there, sorry, and in the morning, the pastor came down and said, during the night, he said, the Lord told me to give you my car. The funny thing was, was that evening, I thought, if this guy can only give me $5, he needs the $100 more than me. So I'd actually slipped the $100 into his Bible. And something was starting to happen, um, and I was starting to become a giver. I picked Edwina and Wes up from the hospital in my new 1975 Mercury Marquis. <laughs> Give it up for the Mercury Marquis. She was a beast. When we got home, the same couple that, um, uh, same pastoral couple came to visit us in our, in our apartment. They must have been horrified. We tried to make it look like we had stuff, but, you know, we didn't have anything. So it was pretty obvious, like, would you like some peas? <laughs> Not a good, you know, tea and peas. How about it? Feel hungry? Yeah. Um, and so the next day, there was a knock on the door and a food hamper arrived and a whole bunch of crockery. And we started to see more and more of God's provision in our lives. Um, we found out that Edwina needed to have worked for 20 weeks to qualify for whatever uh, government maternity benefits uh, there were. And when we checked, she'd worked exactly 20 weeks to the day. Wow. <clears throat> Our landlord came to ask for the rent check. And on the other hand, he had the mail. And uh, in the mail was enough money to cover the rent check that we'd given him. He went down one set of stairs. I ran down the other set of stairs and raced him to the bank. <laughs> God graciously allowed the next check that I wrote to bounce as I was starting to head into, quickly into a formula mindset. All I have to do is write checks and God is obligated to meet them. This is amazing. <laughs> it bounced. I'm like, God, how could I ever trust you again? Uh, really bad theology uh, that he corrected really quickly. We were part of a crazy local church. Uh, some of you know the stories, but it was crazy. Um, but we started to give a minimum of 10% of our income, even though it meant that we had less to live on. Like, for example, less food. So we went from not much food to even less food. 
but we were starting to prioritize giving as a high value, and so we said we will do it at the expense of, um, of our standard of living. We had no bed, and so we slept on the floor, and um, uh, Wes slept with us, and I almost killed him one night because I rolled on, over on top of him, and fortunately his muffled roars woke Edwina. Otherwise, I'd probably be in prison right now. I was working for minimum wage, around $6 an hour doing construction. And uh, to say that we were scraping by would be an understatement. But I had a friend who was in a bad way financially. And uh, I ended up signing over my... I'm just telling you this, because this this is history. So I'm not bragging. I'm just saying this is our story. And he was in a bad way, and I ended up signing over my entire paycheck to him one week. Like, you know, my, just turned the check over, signed it over, gave him my check. Um, I started a business that had the purpose of ministry in mind. And I started using the uh, Mercury Marquee to pick up and deliver dry cleaning. And I popped the rear seat out, I hung a bar across the back, and started knocking on doors for eight hours a day. And somehow people gave me their dry cleaning. <laughs> and I made a business out of it by paying wholesale to the dry cleaners and charging retail to these strangely trusting clients. Um, my car became my learning center. I listened to tapes all day, uh, both teaching and scripture. And uh, what I used to do is I'd tape scriptures on the dash, extremely safe. across the speedometer, I'd have scriptures there because I was memorizing them as I was driving around. And one of the scriptures that is long, and most of it I've memorized, so I'm going to just see if I can still, there's always one couple of verses I struggle with, but this was on my dash. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and on. And it says this, remember this, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly will reap sparingly and grudgingly, but he that sows generously that blessings may come to someone will reap generously and with blessings. Let each man give as he's made up in his own mind and purpose in his own heart, not sorrowfully or reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, that is, takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without, a joyous, prompt to do a giver whose heart is in giving. And God is able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to, him in ab- come to us in abundance, so that I may in all ways and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. This is where I always forget. He, the benevolent person, scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on forever. And God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating, will multiply, ah, will increase and multiply your resources for sowing. And this is the second part I usually forget. And, and uh, which manifests itself, sorry, for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. Thus you will be enriched in all things and in every way so that you can be generous. And your generosity as it is administered by us will bring forth thanksgiving to God. So that passage, of course, is from the Amplified Version. What else could it be? <laughs> it's a monster of a passage. But you know what? I prayed every day for God to create inside of me a heart to give. So as I'm reading that, I was praying that part specifically, 
that I would be a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in giving. Why did I pray that? Because I realized that the shadow of not being generous was still a real thing in my life. It was something in my life. It was a shadow that I had to fight. I had to work out against it. And I'm sure you probably realize by this point that the working out I'm talking about for 40 years is referencing exercising the generosity muscle in our lives. The story continues. My mom let me know that there was a small inheritance from my nan who had passed away, and we needed desperately to buy a car as we now had two children, Wes and Chris, and uh, we had used my business van for everything. So we affectionately called my business van Jaws. And the reason we called it Jaws was because the hood was so rusted through. When you went on the highway, the <laughs> top layer and the bottom layer separated, and the hood came up like this. And so literally it looked like a shark as, you, as I'm on the 401. So I had to use a, a, a bungee cord to strap the, the hood down. And, um, and, you know, I remember one of my beautiful Jaws memories was taking my wife and my mom to the Royal Alex Theater for a very classy performance in Jaws. <laughs> and I dropped them outside the Royal Alex in this, in this vehicle and... Uh, the, I had to help my mom off the toy box, which she was sitting on in the back, because that was the back seat, and uh, down in her finery onto King Street, and then, and then chug off somewhere to find parking. When the police finally pulled the vehicle off the road, I could actually see the road. I wouldn't knew what the weather was like, because I could see the road as I was driving. When they finally pulled it off the road, the officer that pulled it off the road said it was the worst vehicle he'd ever seen. So this inheritance. So my, uh, my friends of ours were going to Bermuda, and, uh, and they lent us their car. They were, they were considering about whether to move to Bermuda, and they just moved back. They were from Bermuda originally, and they actually decided they were going to live there. And so we thought, okay, we have the inheritance. So we called them and said, hey, um, could, we, uh, could we buy the car from you? And, um, and they said, well, yeah, we'll, we're not quite sure. We'll pray about it. And then they called us back maybe a, a day or so later. They said, you know what? We've, we've, um, <clears throat> we prayed, and we felt like God told us not to sell the car to you. And we're like, oh, that was disappointing. I mean, we have the money, and some Mazda 3 is a pretty fine vehicle. <laughs> and they said, he actually told us to give it to you. And so... Um, we were overjoyed, obviously, and, and then we suddenly realized and saw that the money that my mom had sent me was actually seed rather than bread. Seed for sowing, bread for eating. So at that point, uh, there was a couple in the church that also desperately needed a vehicle, so we anonymously purchased a vehicle uh, for this couple. And the friend that organized the whole thing told us that when he told the wife about the gift, she fell to her knees, weeping hysterically and raising her arms in worship to Jesus. We learned to be generous um, with our not great basement apartment in Scarborough. And the little food that we had, um, people would come and eat at our home uh, before. Uh, Tuesday night Bible study, 
and our wicker table got a workout. We had this wicker table and had glass on the glass. Some of you know this story. Had glass on the wicker table, and we broke the glass one day. It snapped, and we couldn't afford to replace it, obviously. And so what would happen is everybody sitting, be eating, you know, eating, and as you're eating, when you're not focusing, your plate started sliding down to the middle of the table <laughs> because there was no cover. So it's like, you know, if you're not careful, basically all the plates, it becomes like a massive Lazy Susan, <laughs> except it's not spinning. So they're all in the middle, and it's like, there we go. So that was our wicker table. So, um, yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, then I had a sense that God was going to give us a home, which really was an impossible dream. Um, we started saving for a home and amassed a little bit over $1,000, which was a lot for us at that point in our lives, for sure. And then an African pastor came to the church and, uh, who wanted to buy a bus to reach his nation, and we took the difficult step of faith for us at that point, but we felt compelled. We gave, him, we gave the whole amount we'd saved uh, to him. We felt like it's going to take us the rest of our life anyway, <laughs> saving at this speed to buy a home. <laughs> like, let's, there's a bigger need there. Let's, you know, we, God is doing this, this giving thing in our lives, you know, generosity muscles being exercised. And so uh, we, gave, we gave that amount. And uh, yeah, and he, I think he got his bus. I trust he got his bus. Um, a series of miracles happened. Uh, after that, and we were able to buy a home a year later, around a year later. I'm not exactly sure, but it was around that time. Even though we'd been forced into bankruptcy by creditors, and uh, ultimately we were able to pay back everyone that we owed, our creditors, even though we're in bankruptcy, plus we had a down payment for our townhouse in Ajax. Uh, that small home was where our family expanded, uh, our kids grew, and where most of, well, we had two more there, and uh, where most of the church came through. Uh, through good and bad times, um, mostly bad financially, we made a decision to work out the generosity muscle, even though it seemed impractical to do so. And 13 years later, we were able to buy a piece of land and build our own home, and many of you have been our guests in the last 21 years in, on Greenwood Road. So I only tell you this story for one thing. I, I've attempted to paint a picture, a bit of a picture, using just a snapshot of a four-decade journey of DNA change um, that required us to constantly exercise the muscle of generosity. During times of lack, during times of plenty. I emphasize, it was mostly lack. I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm here to testify that God has more than kept his side of the bargain as we've stumbled through this journey. Um, so here's my kind of, I'm going to open the Bible again. Are you excited? <laughs> we don't give to get, but you cannot read the scriptures without uncovering a spiritual economy that is unlocked by generosity. And so these passages became our friends. These passages became our comfort. So I'm just going to hit a few of them for you. Proverbs 19.17. I think maybe Vic referenced it last week or some other time. Whoever gives to the poor, whoever's generous to the poor, uh, lends to the Lord, 
and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 11.25 A generous soul will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Proverbs 22.9 A generous man will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Psalm 37.26 They are always, talking about the righteous, they are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Psalm 112, verse 5, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. So I'm going to give you seven lessons that we've learned uh, in this 40, almost 40-year 40 journey of exercising the generosity muscle. Lesson number one, no, I've got no cute titles. I just didn't <laughs> get to that. <laughs> like long, uncomfortable, awkward titles that you're not going to be able to write down. Okay. <laughs> Lessons learned, number one. No, actually, not too bad. Stay, start where you're at. You can write that down. Start where you are at. Um, it's never going to get easier. It's never going to get easier. People will say, you know, I'm going to have kids when I... No, 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 no. You are never, ever going to be in the right position to have kids, just for the record. So it's never going to get easier. If you don't start when you have little, you will not start when you have more. I've always inspired, absolutely inspired by the impoverished, absolutely impoverished Macedonian church um, who responded to the needs of the church in Jerusalem during a famine. And Paul used this impoverished church to spur on the Corinthians to get their act together here. That whole passage of generosity is to the Corinthian church. But you know, he uses in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he uses the Macedonian church as a rallying cry. Let's, let's read it together. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The journey from have to to want to. And I, I think this, this idea of people without begging for, the, begging for the opportunity, for the privilege of being able to support their brethren in Jerusalem. And what do we see today? The church... Begging you to give money. Not our church, but generally. The church, you look at the televangelists, they're begging you to give money. But the gospel, when it changes our hearts, we just see the world differently. We have a different worldview. And now, instead of me being begged, I'm begging for the opportunity to give. Sometimes it's irrational. Sometimes it's impractical. Often it's inconvenient. But this impoverished church said, we want to help. We're going to help. I can imagine Paul saying, guys, I know I have what a tough time. He's like, it doesn't matter. We're in. We're going to give. We're going to do it. So the idea is when we talk about giving, there's an attitude where we feel like, yeah, we should do it. We have to do it. And I, I think the journey is we want to get to that point where we want to do it. It's not have to, it's want to.
Point number one. Let's see where it gets longer. <laughs> longer, not points, sentence heads. Number three, it's a muscle that needs to be exercised constantly. I think you probably got that. There's number two. Sorry. Sorry, why did I drop the ball there? It is a muscle that needs to be exercised constantly. We constantly decide to be generous, even when things are tight. Sad reality is the older we get and the more we have, the harder it is to be generous as fear starts to tell us we're going to run out of money. I deal with it all the time. I am forcing generosity in myself. At times, it's very impractical for us right now. I'm forcing, uh, we are forcing ourselves to be generous because we must trust God in this season. How many people know older, maybe older parents who have money but become, their world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and they won't give anything and they become tighter? Why? Because they have this fear that money is going to run out. I never feared that when I was like most of your age. We never had any. I just knew I could go and produce more if I had to. So I always had the ability to know I could produce with my business or whatever the case may be. I always had that, that, that you know, sense of trust that I could do that and motivation. When you get older, those options start changing. And so it's harder as you get older, believe it or not. If you have not stamped generosity into your DNA all through your Christian life, it will not get better when you get older. It will get harder. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> Number four. That was three. It's a muscle that needs to be exercised constantly. Oh, I missed number two completely. I completely missed number two. All right, let's go back to number two. No wonder you're looking at me like, what the heck's going on? Like, how did I miss? All right. Number one was what? Start where you're at. Number two, which you don't know. <laughs> Local church has always been our first priority financially. That's point number two. It's like the best point for a church, <laughs> for a church guy to preach. But By the way, this is the message that only a non-staff member can preach. <laughs> I mean, Vic could preach it. I mean, I, I, you know, he could do it, but I can do it a little more, you know, without wondering, you wondering what's going on here. Nothing's going on. I'm just telling you, this is what 40 years looks like. Local church has always been our priority. Other ministries or gifts are always secondary and not taken out of the amount. So, so here's the deal. The New Testament does not teach tithing in a conventional way. Tithing is referenced. But actually, if you want to really say, we want to tithe, the, the Jewish people actually gave like 2.5 tithes. They actually gave around 25% of their income when, when all things were, were, uh, were totaled up. But we always say to people from the beginning, it's, we always say to people uh, from the beginning, um, where am I? Yeah, local church, right? Uh, we just say minimum of 
And so in those early days, we just said a minimum of 10%. We would never, ever, ever only give 10%, ever. But that was our starting point. So then when another opportunity would come to give, we didn't say, oh, oh okay, Compassion Kids, oh, I'm going to give $100 to theirs, so what I'll do, I'm going to reduce my, my main one by 100 and I'm going to move it over there. That's not how it goes, guys. Local church is your priority. I always used to say to people, they say, I support this ministry, and I support this ministry, and I support this ministry. And I say, you know what? When you get cancer, you call so-and-so ministry and tell them to come visit you and lay hands on you and see what happens. Do you know what happens when things go wrong for people? Do you know where they go? They go to local church because it's a real community. It's not, a, it's not an ethereal community. It's a real community. So that is your, that's the, it was always, we just learned that. Learned that in the UK, learned that in the early days here. This is always our priority financially. And Proverbs 3.9 says this, um, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so the whole idea, people say, do I tithe on my net or my gross? I'm like, wrong question, wrong question. Do I tithe on my, look, the principle of first fruits is all through the scripture, New Testament as well as the Old Testament, obviously. So the idea is if I'm going to wait until everything, all my expenses are paid, and then I start saying, I'll give something of that now to, the, to my local church. That's not your first fruits. That may be your third or your fourth fruits. <laughs> Government's taken first, you know, your savings account, your investment. No, 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 no. First fruits is first fruits. So it works. If you earn $50,000 a year, you should probably have around five to $10,000 in tax receipts at the end of the year. Just saying. I'm just saying. So here's the deal. I want to give first to God before I pay my taxes. And I do not limit myself to giving 10%. That is only a starting point of everything that comes in. Okay, that was number two. <laughs> number three was the needs to be exercised constantly. All right, let's go to number four right away. <laughs> number four, giving is part of overall stewardship. Giving is part of overall stewardship. But... In my case, in our case, it's the foundation of our financial lives. So giving is the foundation of our financial lives. Everything else is secondary to that. Um, there's no mystery to financial success, guys. There's no mystery. You spend less than you earn. That's the beginning point of financial success. Not a mystery. In our case, we give first. We invest wisely. We wage war on debt, we pay our bills on time, and then we spend on necessities and luxuries. I had one of these things for my boys. One of my sons, Jeff, just showed up, and Sabrina and, and Archer. Hey, Archer. <laughs> uh, uh, latest grandson is right there. Um, but we had a thing. It was like dad's financial laws. I, mean, I stuck it on the wall for them. It was like, you know, earn, give save 10%, uh, planned expenditures, luxuries and necessities. So we've kind of, whether they do it or not, they're too old for me now. That's their, that's their ball game. But 
Um, those are the principles that we, we live by. Those are the principles that we try to share with them. All right, getting down to the end strokes here. Number five, giving principles for couples. Uh, this has been part of our journey. So if you're a husband and wife, this is specifically for you. Uh, in the beginning, some of my giving decisions made Edwina uncomfortable um, as I could have done things emotionally. And even God honored my emotional giving. I will say that. This is how emotionally I gave. I was at a crusade in the early days and we had absolutely no money. And there was an offering taken and I gave my wedding ring. I know, I know. I put my wedding ring in the offering. I know, but let me just tell you, at that moment, that was the ultimate act of consecration for me. I had nothing to give, and I said, this is like the most important thing I have in my life right now. I'm going to give it to God. See, I have another one. It doesn't fit, so obviously I've had it for a while. <laughs> Hand is just like swelling over the ring. Um, but yeah, I, I think so. I, Edwina, you know, probably would have been uncomfortable. Not probably, was uncomfortable with some of my giving decisions. Uh, and they weren't done in consultation. This is how we roll. We've learned to check in with each other. So the other day when Compassion was here, um, she's like, should we get another kid? And I'm like, I don't know. How many kids do we have now? She said, she said, I think we have two. I said, no, I think we have three. So we were actually checking through our bank account statements to see how many kids we were sponsoring. Um, but again, that's just, you know, and then we just decided, yeah, let's, let's get a, a child. Let's buy a child. <laughs> that sounded terrible, but you know what I mean. Uh, a spon- I mean, sorry, the word is sponsor. The word is sponsor. My bad. Edit. So, so what we do is when, when there's a sense that one of us wants to give or both of us want to give, we'll check in with each other. This is how we do it. We'll check in with each other, say, what are you sensing? And I'm telling you, probably eight out of ten times, we have the same number. Mm-hmm. It's like almost every time. You know, what, I mean, I don't even remember the time, last time where, where I said, should we do this? And she said, oh, I'm not feeling it. It's not, it's, it just doesn't happen that way. It's just we're kind of in rhythm with that stuff. And so if one of us feels more strongly about something, and that involves a larger amount, we will typically defer to that person. So if Irina feels more strongly about something, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we could do that. She goes, yeah, I really want to do that. And, uh, and it's a larger amount. We'll just typically just say, let's do it. Let's go for it. I mean, God can speak to me, God can speak to her, but I think there's a a mutual honor in how we we do this. We want to mutually honor each other, and at the end of the day, we typically end up on the same page. Oh, I mean, always, actually. Number six, two more, quick. I don't know how long I've been, but I'm almost there. Be generous with your home, your food, and your time. See, very long sentence. It's part of teaching your kids to be generous. Our home is not a museum or a fortress. It's open. You know, um, when our kids lived at home, we would often come back to a home full of youth and uh, that our sons had invited, and we were fine with it most of the time. (laughs) But actually, it's really cool now to visit uh, four sons who have their own four lives and families and own homes or whatever the case may be and to see that they are generous and have open homes. 
again, when, when you're imprinting, you're imprinting the lifestyle, the DNA of, of, of uh, generosity in your family. It's not just for you, it's for your kids as well. We, we used to like to keep them abreast of some of the giving stuff that we'd be doing. Last point, anonymous or open giving. <clears throat> you know, there's scriptural precedent for both ways of giving. I often prefer myself to give anonymously whenever possible, and there's a few reasons for that. First of all, I do not want to feed the part of me that becomes inflated when I do good things. So that part of me that feels like a really good person because I've helped somebody out in a big way, I don't, that, that thing needs to starve. I don't need to feed that monster. So that's one of the reasons why I think anonymous giving is helpful. The second reason is, and it's, uh, is helpful, and again, there's both precedent for both. We, the first passage we read was open giving, Jesus watching how much people were giving. So there's precedent for both. Um, I don't want the person that I'm giving to to feel any sense of obligation, obligation when receiving the gift. An anonymous gift will often result in praise to God rather than praise to men, which I demonstrated earlier with that car thing. She, she didn't know who it came from, so she couldn't say, oh, how can I thank them? It was like Jesus. So those are the reasons, typically, if I have a choice and it works out, I'm trying to do it anonymously. Here's the summary. Four decades of working out the generosity muscle has allowed us to experience a good, not a perfect life. So if I look at the, if I look at the, the graph, if I watch it, if I watch the graph, over these four decades, I can see it's, it's basically... It's basically positive. <laughs> I mean, there's dips and there's, you know, but, but when I look at it, when I say, is it worth it? Was it worth it to have lived this way for four decades? And, we'll, and hopefully we'll live this way till, till we're no longer on this earth. Is it worth it? I'm going to say resounding 100%. It's been worth it. 100%. I came home last week to find Edwina going back over our finances on, the, on, our, on her Mac because she felt like we'd missed some of our giving last year. And it's so funny. The old DNA part of me, even four decades in, kind of, kind of felt like, yeah, don't do that. I'm sure we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I stopped myself, and I saw it as another opportunity to work out our generosity muscle, even though naturally speaking, I did not want to see my bank account go down. So... At times, it's a brutal journey. I don't want you to think it's a honeymoon. It's very hard. But the end of the day is you and your gener the, the generation that comes from you will benefit massively from watching you live this way, from you living this way and them watching you live this way. And my dream for you is that you will move from the have-tos, I, have, I should do it, I guess I should do it, to... The bag twos. That every time there's an opportunity, man, your hands in your in your pocket. Start small. Start small. When you go out for coffee with people, pick up the bill. Pick the tab up. Start small. Just say, no, I'm gonna take care of that. You know, 
You may not have enough money. It may be difficult to do that. You're exercising that generosity muscle. Figure out how can we give at least 10% of our income. What's that going to look like? Man, that seems like a large amount. Yeah, it is. It's 10%. (laughs) (laughs) Can you live on 90% of your income and still survive? Yeah, you can if you make a decision to do that. And again, my dream for you is that, you know, New Testament giving was not driven by a number. It was driven by the heart. And so it's like, I'd love this to be Macedonian church. We just say, please. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we, we want to, you know, we, we don't have much, but let's give to the, you know, compassionate Dominican or whatever, whatever it is, whatever comes up. Are we going to be front-footed regardless of how much we have? And just say, no, I'm going to live sacrificially because I want to implant and impregnate DNA into my DNA. I want it in my DNA. I want this to be my legacy that I live, leave for my kids and for their and their kids. And if you do that, you'll never regret it. Amen. <laughs> I just I hope that was helpful. I just wanted to just say, hey, um, it has been a massive journey for us. And it's not a journey that's ended. It's a journey that we're still in. I just want to encourage you to um, rethink your journey, recalibrate your journey if you need to, um, at least review it. Can we stand, please? I've got a party to go to. <laughs> All right. Father, we, uh, I mean, I'm in awe of you. Even as I'm, as I'm kind of writing out our story, I, I just keep looking back. I mean, it's a long time ago, a lot of those things, but I still am I'm in awe of how you took care of the seemingly small things in our lives as we struggled to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And again, we understand that the gospel is free. We understand that uh, we don't need to do these things. But Lord, you, you ask us to do things because they benefit us. Living this way benefits us. So in response to the gospel, in response to your absolutely pure grace, I'm going to ask you, Lord, that in all of us, you create in us a heart to give. You make us incredibly generous, that we exercise that muscle of generosity and we, uh, we refuse to bow and buckle to, um, to that temptation to build our own house here. So Lord, speak to us, challenge us, change us, but create in us a joyous, prompt to do it heart of giving um, so that we may love, 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 love this part of kingdom living. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.